Season three of We Are All Americans was recorded in the summer of 2020 in the midst of the global COVID-19 pandemic and the reinvigorated Black Lives Matter movement after the murders of Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, and George Floyd. Welcome to We Are All Americans, conversations about how family stories are passed down from generation to generation and what it means to be American in the context of multiculturalism, immigration, military service, Black Lives Matter, white privilege, and indigeneity. I'm your host, Michelle Jacquis, and today we are recording at the ICALA in downtown Los Angeles as part of field workshop action projects, a series of short-term projects and activities that focus on learning, civic engagement, and self-care. And for today's conversation, we have three generations, and I'll let you introduce yourselves. Yeah. So, Mom, I guess I would just say that maybe you could let me ask you questions and stuff, and then we could get into some of the stuff instead of giving it all up front. So, do you want to start? No, just but introduce yourself, but just save something for later. <laughs> all right. Hi, I am uh, Reviti Kandarpa Vikram. I was born in India, and I became I came to America in the United States in 1975 on a green card and I became a citizen in 1982. And had my children here, Anu, my oldest, and my son in 1982. My name is Anuradha Vikram. I am a curator and a writer based in LA. I'm here with my mom and with my daughter. And um, I was born in the United States. I'm the first person in my family to be born in the United States. Um, and as the oldest child who was born here, I have a kind of a strange place in the family, I think. Um, I'm seen differently than other kids because of that, I think. Um, but also I feel like my role and my expectations for myself have been different. So, um, yeah, that's been interesting to be, to be of a family that's all American, but also to be kind of officially the first one, you know? My name is Nadia Vikramagai, and uh, I was born in, uh, I don't know where I was born. In California, though, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. And uh, what else am I supposed to say? Whatever you want. You don't have to say anything. I want to be president when I grow up. <laughs> Do you have a question for Amama about when she came to the United States? Have you ever heard the story of the first time Amama came to the United States? Mm-mm. Would you like to ask her to tell it? Amama, can you tell us the story of the first time you came to the United States of America? Oh, that was the first time I came when I came as a student uh, to study, you're asking? Okay, I came, I was back in um, 1964. And uh, my claim to fame is I landed here on the same day as the Beatles. And although they landed in New York, I landed in St. Louis. And of course, I had no idea why such a fuss was being made about them, um, only to find out later why. Um, but I landed here, I'd never been in a cold country, I'd never seen snow, and I was all of 16 years old, so I really didn't know what to expect. I'd never been away from my parents. So there was a lot of first times that happened when I came. 
question. Yes. Did you bring any warm clothes? A very good question. I was coming actually from Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, which is also a very warm place. I never owned a coat. I didn't know how to dress for the winter. I came to St. Louis in February, which is very cold, and I did not have a winter coat. My father just said, "Here's the money." There was somebody who was going to meet me there. He said, "Tell them to take you to buy you a coat as soon as you get there." And I bought my first coat on the day I arrived. But I didn't really know how to dress for winter. Can I tell a story now? Yes,、mm-hmm. please. But okay.、Uh, Me and my family once went on a cruise throughout City of the Seas, and、uh, I think when we were on that vacation—not on the Rap City of the Seas, but on a vacation—I think it was before we went on the Rap City of the Seas.、Mm-hmm. Um, I don't actually know if this was actually the same. Pl- Um, the same vacation, but we went dolphin watching. It was a different vacation, actually.、Mm-hmm. Oh, that was a but, few months before. It was in the spring that we went to、oh. uh, the dolphin and whale watching. Yeah. And who took you when you went whale watching and dolphin watching? I think it was on Delta. Yeah. So your grandparents took you, huh? Uh huh. Yeah. When was the first time that you went whale watching? But we didn't. That was the same.、Oh, that was dolphins, right? But we didn't see whales. But、mm-hmm. we saw a lot of dolphins. They were going under the boat, and we could lie down and watch them. Yes. Does that make me think、here. of when we、California. used to go? Yeah, it、that、makes me、here. think of when we used to go to New England、mm-hmm. and try to see humpback whales with my uncle Krishna, your brother. Yeah. Right. And so you know, we have a very northeast. I had a very northeastern childhood. Yeah.、Um, with a lot of that, you know,、um, Hudson River. And going up to New England, and going to Maine, and then arriving to Florida. Right,、mm-hmm. I remember a lot of that from my childhood.、Um, but then we moved to California,、uh, my partner and I, when we were in our 20s, and so we've had our family here in California.、Mm-hmm. And I feel like what the kids have seen and grown up with is very different in terms of landscape, their environment, like what they grow up knowing. They they grow up knowing that we go visit the desert, you know,、mm-hmm. or.、Um, What else do you know about California? Where do we go? We go to Maryland a lot. Yeah, we do go to Maryland a lot, right?、Mm-hmm. We don't go to the New New England that much, or the Northeast very much. We haven't. We've gone to New York a lot, but I would like、yeah. to take them to Boston once Krishna settles back there again. Yeah. yeah. Sure.、Mm-hmm. So, but we've, we've always been, been scattered Texas. around. We've been to Philadelphia. You haven't been to Texas yet, have you? No, I've been to Hong Kong. Yeah, <laughs> she did go to Florida though. She went for a wedding.、Yeah. That's right. It's funny though. I remember when I was a kid,、um, counting up the number of countries I'd been to because we always liked to go places, and also we would go for conferences that、mm-hmm. you and Dad would be speaking at, and、mm-hmm. then we would、um, have our vacation and travel to places. But at a certain point, I think I had been to more countries than I had been to states,、mm-hmm. and I remember thinking that that was something I should correct for when I was a teenager and like going to college, and I went on a road trip. Through the United States, when I was a college student, part of that was just to have more states under my belt, so kind of even out the number of countries.、Um, I guess I felt like, as an American-born person, like I had a certain responsibility to see the states,、mm-hmm. you know, and not just to see the world.、Mm-hmm. In a way, yeah, we we also had that. I mean, even as immigrants, even that we need to 
know our new country, and even the very first vacation we took, which was like um, a few months after we had arrived, we went to different parts of the of the East Coast, and then the following year we came to California. We brought you as a baby, so we did. We had the same inspiration while getting to know the country because that's this is our home now. Mm -hmm. um, so yes, that is. If I remember correctly, I think you and Dad tried your hand at camping a few times. <laughs> That's uh, not, not very successfully. <laughs> yeah, we didn't grow up camping. That was not something that we did. <laughs> but I guess it's something you do when you're trying to figure out what it means to be American. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah um, a lot of people ask me the question that uh, you've lived in so many countries, which one do you like best? Yeah. You know, what would you choose to live in? And I've had a long time to figure that out. Mm -hmm. And up, I would say uh, that I always answer truthfully that the country I loved most to live in, although I'd lived in the Middle East, I'd lived in South America, I'd lived in Asia, I'd lived in Europe, that I liked the United States the most. And why I liked it was it's... I mean, it's diversity, because again, I lived in the East Coast most of the time. It's diversity and it's a sense of freedom, sense of opportunity. And that was not always available in the other places I'd lived in and didn't feel that that would be available to me as somebody coming from a different country. As a matter of fact, I didn't even feel it was available to me in the country I was born in. So, America really felt like this huge, big opportunity. And I can tell you, if you ask me the questions, when that changed and how it changed. Okay, so yeah. tell us, when did it change and how did it the change? The first time I felt alienated, or, and I think it's a generational thing. I'm the first generation in my family to become a U.S. citizen, naturalized citizen was when 9-11 happened and we were in New York and a lot of stuff happened around us. And there was a lot of, um, even in New York City particularly, the very next day after the disaster, a couple of days after, we took the subway to go downtown to see the area and we took two kids, but I mean, you were there downtown anyway, um, to see it and people on the subway reacting very like we had caused it, you know. And that was the first time I had a feeling that I was being viewed as someone totally irresponsible and out there to get, get you kind of feeling, which is not what I felt. I felt like I had been attacked, that I was part of the America that was attacked. So that was the first inkling of, and also the feeling that as a naturalized citizen, I didn't have as much of a voice in protesting or doing things that someone who was born here, they had more rights than I had. And that's the feeling I had then. Yeah, I remember talking to you about that at the time because it surprised me because we were always told and taught that if you're a naturalized citizen, you have all the rights of a native-born citizen with the exclusion of being able to run for president. Um, but actually, you know, increasingly, in, certainly in recent years, it seemed like 
naturalized citizenship could be revoked mm -hmm. for political reasons, mm -hmm. which is really concerning and I think not something that we expected of this country and I don't think something that you and dad expected of this country when you were no. emigrating here. Um, so that's been really alarming to witness. 9-11 was an important moment for our whole family, I think, in terms of starting to understand a kind of specific role in racial politics that South Asians would play in American society. Whereas before that, we'd always sort of not really had a role and yeah. been kind of handled as like perhaps exotic in that way, you know, not integrated. And often I think our community, something that you and I've also talked about being frustrated by, um, that our community of, of immigrants from South Asia often does behave as though they don't have a political role to play here or, or they're not really that invested, they're just going to go back. You know, 9-11 um, did change that and certainly for a younger generation it really changed that. Um, and I think, you know, in some ways maybe that's part of, you know, I was going to ask Nadia about Kamala Harris, actually. Kamala. You know, what do you think about Kamala Harris, Ma? I like her. I think she'll be a good vice president. What do you like about her? Uh, that she's a woman mm -hmm. and uh, she's ice. Do you think, did you also know that she's, she's half from India, like her mom is from India? Really? Yeah. And her no. dad is from Jamaica. So she's cool. black and she's also Indian. Cool. Yeah. Do you think that's cool? Uh -huh. Does that make you excited that someone who's also got family who came from India might get to be vice president yeah. of our country? Something, um, I mean, I, um, you, I agree with you about the whole um, situation about how the South Asian community didn't really integrate, they always felt like they were apart in some ways. They were here to live a life, be out of, don't make noise, don't make waves, you know, don't get picked on. Although living in New York, we knew of many incidents predating 9-11 where there were um, incidents where South Asians were picked on. But certainly 9-11 transformed the community's reaction. I think one was actually what happened in 9-11, but the second was people of your generation had come of age. So they now felt that second wave of, we are American, we're not transplants like you are. And organizations like SALT started working very hard. And I think that made the community um, become more politically active, socially active. I think that was a big change, 9-11. The positive side for the South Asian community was this political act, uh, activity and uh, um, in bringing in more people of that community into politics and seeking office, culminating in what we saw two nights ago. Although she has, I don't think, any direct link to SALT per se. But, uh, no, but I think even the fact that um it's a conversation, right? That, that mm -hmm. South Asians are starting to have a conversation mm -hmm. um, about feeling represented that, you know, and it's, it's not just in politics. I mean, I think in fact, it's probably more in entertainment first and in politics only secondary. And of course, in the sciences before that, right? Um, and so, I mean, in some ways you and dad were trailblazers in that way because you were in that first wave, maybe the second part of the first wave of those professionals, particularly medical professionals who were coming from India 
to the United States and became probably the first people of South Asian origin that a lot of people in the United States had met or encountered. So what was that like for you? That was interesting. I mean, uh, again, being most of that early career training was in New York, which was always a melting pot of its own. And um, part of what we both consciously and subconsciously did was actually, yeah, did our best to be part of the medical profession, as well as brought some of that more, uh, what we grew up with, the Gandhian philosophy, if you want to call it, of service. So me particularly, and that to some extent in a different way, was always worked in uh, underprivileged areas with underprivileged populations, feeling like they need that qualities, that qualifications that we have that we can share and help, um, rather than sitting in an, I mean, sitting in a posh um, office and seeing only privileged people who went into the trenches in that way. So that was very important to me, very conscious act, and I think that comes from where I was coming from. So, I think we have time to ask the questions, what are you fearful of? Nadia, what are you afraid of? Anything? Coronavirus. Anything else? Uh, coronavirus monster? <laughs> coronavirus monster. <laughs> Is that all? Elephants? You're afraid of elephants? <laughs> One time when we went to India, I got to ride on an elephant. Puppets. Yeah? You afraid of puppets? Uh-huh. Hmm. How about you, Mom? Afraid of what? Puppets, she said. Puppets. Yeah, she has mentioned that she's afraid of puppets. Yeah. Interesting. Why? What's scary um, about puppets? I don't know. I mean, when, when you can see who's controlling them, it's not that scary, but when you can't really, when it's just the puppets, it's scary because it's like they're controlling themselves. Like, wooden stuff that's controlling itself. <laughs> it's hard to explain. Yeah. It's like being afraid of clowns or being afraid of Right? I think I was afraid of moment shots when I was her age, actually. I remember yeah, we went to see it and it really yeah. freaked me out with like the black light and the, uh -huh. the masks and the hands. You can see the bodies and everybody wore black. And so yeah. like, I kind of get where she's coming from. Yeah. Mm -hmm. How about you, Mom? What scares you? What scares you? Well, I asked you first. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, well, I guess the coronavirus being in an age group where more susceptible in a sense. Uh, and the distances that we live from each other, that it's not where we always travel and go quick to get to each other for fun and for other reasons when we needed each other's help. I find that a little disconcerting um, and obviously I have to take more care of me and dad in, that in the sense that we want to be available and not get sick kind of thing. Um, that's one concern if you want to talk about it, an immediate concern of that. 
The other is, I, I view life and I view different situations as a pendulum swings. So having lived here in the 60s, late 60s, when there was the civil rights movement and seeing them, I've always felt of myself as an observer because I couldn't be a participant, as I explained, I felt like I didn't have the right to be a participant and maybe they'd throw me out of the country if I participate um, because I was sense of fragility about belonging. Whereas, um, so the pendulum swung and now we have a pendulum swing again that is bringing up good issues that need to be dealt with. And these pendulum swings are going to happen. I might not see the next pendulum swing. I might not live long enough to see that next 30 cycle, 40 year cycle, whatever cycle. So I hope people in leadership think of that, are aware of that, and I fear that sometimes, I mean, the biggest fears have been in the last four years. I'll be straightforward about that. And that those things don't repeat themselves. And people have learned and use this pendulum swing to move forwards. In the That's the hope. Yeah. I've answered the hope that, that, sure. that things will be much better for everybody. So what I'm fearful of is that um, I'm part of a generation where the expectations that we have for ourselves, which are based on what we were raised with and who we were raised by, um, to achieve them has become a lot more complicated than it was a generation ago um, because there are fewer services and there are a lot more demands financially as well as time-wise. And we just always feel like we're barely above water if that. And I think that makes me fearful, but I'm also learning to be hopeful about it because um, it's also learning to be adaptable, learning to be resilient. You know, and I think that's where, I mean, when I chose my, my life partner, I also chose someone whose family had also emigrated, who also had some traumatic ruptures, refugee history in the family. You know, um, I mean, there's a lot of trauma there, but there's also a lot of strength there. And I think a lot of skills in adapting. Um, and so, I mean, also I think about, when I think about what it is that new Americans bring to the United States and what makes it, really important that we're here is that we are so adaptable and we're so resilient and we um we can kind of solve any problem if we set our minds to it and think our way out of any problem work our way out of any problem um and so you know it's a good thing i think for this country to maybe have some immigrants and children of immigrants at its head for a while um mm -hmm. i think we might come up with some new solutions so i'm hopeful about that it's interesting uh that you and your partner uh, both have refugee status in your backgrounds. Um, your dad's family mm -hmm. were refugees when India and Pakistan got split in 1937. <coughs> he was not born, but his parents moved from Pakistan into India as refugees. And there's a mindset that they bring that even though you weren't, he was not a refugee, that covers how he views himself, views the world, and what he works for and towards, that stability that he seeks in a way. Um, but the resilience that comes with it as well, that you can survive anything. Right. 
Yeah. yeah, and I think that's a real challenge, though, because, I mean, we do tend to seek stability, and sometimes we take, we're risk-averse. Mm -hmm. Even though we have the skills that are necessary to survive risk, I think we also maybe um, know that the risk is real. Yeah. You know? And the last few years have made that risk reality much stronger. And one of the things also is, again, coming from a, a perspective of so many cultures and so many time frames that were, for example, just taking coronavirus and the way people are dealing with it, coming from a country where we could see children within our families dying from malnutrition, infections, and the care that our parents took to make sure we were vaccinated, make sure we were healthy, and brought us to the level we are. And then seeing that pendulum swing of people saying, we don't need vaccines, we don't need this. You know, don't you understand where we all this came from? How survival happens? So it's kind of hard as a physician, a parent, and someone who came from that background to not, I mean, I don't lecture anybody about it, but not feel concern for that. <clears throat> As a risk. Yeah. yeah, I think about how, you know, in Asia, people aren't questioning wearing masks in the same way mm -hmm. because the memory of people dying of disease is not that far away. Mm -hmm. And I'm actually surprised, honestly, that it's so far away here in the United States because I'm old enough to remember the AIDS crisis, which was not that long ago. I feel like it was such a formative moment in my upbringing. Yeah, um, and I learned a lot of things about America that were very disappointing in that period, and also some very beautiful things. Um, but it's so amazing to me that people don't seem to remember. Or don't or realize, or just, you know, don't seem to think that they're vulnerable in that way. Um, and that's a particularly American thing, mm -hmm. too, it that seems. Is, yeah. That is, that um, is. Nadia, uh -huh. what are you hopeful for? I'm hopeful that coronavirus will be better. If we just keep working. We keep working at it? Uh-huh. What about after coronavirus? What about down the line in the future? What do you hope for? What do you, what do you want for the future? I don't want bad people to be elected for president. <laughs> yeah, I agree with Gotta that. Gotta work hard. You young people have to work hard to make sure that doesn't happen, yes. What about the planet, no? I want... I want the planet to be healthier. Mm -hmm. So that's something we have to do, right? And I think, you know, when we were growing up and we would go back and forth from India, you know, we would go visit India in the summer and we would come back to the United States. Um, I think having that experience growing up helped me understand better when, we would, when I would read about how climate change is being experienced differently in the United States than it's being experienced in other places, you know? Mm -hmm. And we saw some of that. We saw the drought and we saw the pollution and we saw the displacement of people who mm -hmm. were in the big cities because their farms had dried up and they were, you know, living destitute as a result. And so I think in that sense, being, being of multiple cultures helps give you that global perspective to understand how this could work, how an ecosystem could work. Mm -hmm. I hope that Joe Biden and Kamala Harris become president. Yeah, me too. What do you think will change if Joe Biden becomes the president and Kamala Harris becomes the vice president? Like, 
Well, Joe Biden did say that he was going to help with climate change. Yeah, you think he's going to take a better stance on climate change? Yeah. Well, Nadia, I must say, when I was nine year old, I was a nine year old, none of these were even concerns I had. So that responsibility of those concerns that you have is itself a big change from my generation to yours. I mean, you are holding these ideas and concerns that we had no clue. We had no idea. Congratulations. You will be the generation that will bring us out of these holes. I think what Alma is saying is that when she was a kid, kids kind of let their parents worry about stuff like that. And they didn't think about the world so much. But kids today are very active in the world. And they care about the world because they see that they need to take the future in their own hands too. They can't just trust it to the grown-ups, right? Also, we didn't have as much access to the news the way yeah. folks have. We didn't have the internet and things like that, so information wasn't so easily available like you have. Yeah, you know a lot about the world mm -hmm. already. And that can be scary. It can be. It's it true. can be scary. Especially in scary times like these, huh? But at least we have a family that loves us, right? So that's what I hope. I hope we can always be together. That seems like a really great place to end. Thank you, all of you, for sharing your stories. Thanks for having us, Michelle.